Hey, church family, thank you once again for joining us online today for this online worship experience. Uh, we know this is a little bit different for a lot of us, really all of us. Um, this whole week has kind of been strange, and so we thank you for, uh, man, not letting the, the weirdness of what's going on right now stop you from worshiping today. And so we know that, man, some of you are sitting at home right now. Um, some of you are, are gathering with a group of people, and that's great. And so I want to encourage you, enjoy this. Embrace this. I mean, how often do we get to sit in our pajamas and worship with our family all together? This is unique, and it may not happen like this again. And so, man, enjoy today as much as you can. Uh, and so, again, just, just another reminder, you know, the heart behind this, uh, we are trying our best to be in our city for our city. And just with the advice we were given and after prayerfully trying to figure out what to do, uh, we're confident that this was the right move to make. Uh, and so uh, today, all that to say, uh, we're going to spend some time together and we're going to talk about fear. I figured talking about fear was a great, a great topic for today. Uh, in student ministry, we've been talking about fear quite a bit over the past six months or so, really because it's something that just comes up. It kind of comes to the surface quite a bit in today's world. Uh, you know, in today's world, we are uh, just um, surrounded by news uh, and social media, and we are exposed to so many things that in the past uh, we were not as exposed to. And so learning how to take in everything that's going on around the world and learning how to process, honestly, more news than we're probably meant to handle, it can be difficult to do. And so fear is something that, that is, something, is something we need to talk about quite a bit. And so what I want to do today is, is jump in and, and talk about fear. Fear basically is this. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, is likely to cause pain, or is a threat to you. Fear is a response. It's a response to something that is bigger than you, uh, that maybe feels out of control, uh, something that may cause you physical or emotional damage. We've all been afraid. We understand this feeling of fear. So my question to start us off today is this. What are you afraid of? What is it about life that keeps you up at night and you are just afraid? What worries you? It could be a lot of things. Every single person is, is afraid of different things. And when I share my fears and you share yours, you might think my fears are kind of weird. I might think yours are weird. And that's okay. The reality is fear is, is a real thing. And so that's why it's important for us to talk about it today. I remember when I was in college, um, I'm going to get vulnerable and share one of my fears with you. So please don't judge me. Uh, when I was in college, I remember one day I was walking out to my car. I was driving a, a 1999 Ford Explorer. And I was about to get in my car and go to class. And so I got in the driver's seat and closed the door and put the key, key in the ignition and went to put my hand on the steering wheel. And on the steering wheel was a black spider just sitting right there looking at me. It wasn't the biggest spider in the world, but it also wasn't the smallest. It was enough for me to freak out. And I think I literally got out of the car, closed the door and walked to class that day. Didn't do anything about the spider, just left it there. And I know some of you are thinking like, it's just a spider, just flick it off or just get over it. I don't, I don't need to hear it, okay? I did what I did because I was, I was afraid. So I got out of the car, walked to class, and I just left that spider in my car. But then the next day, I'd forgotten about it. So I went back, got in my car, and I, again, I got in my driver's seat, closed the door, hands on the steering wheel, turned on the ignition, went to put the car in reverse, and the same spider, I'm convinced it was the same one it had to be, came down from the ceiling and was just dangling right from my face, just like this just taunting me. He knew. He could smell the fear. He was just taunting me. And so I kind of karate chopped the web so it fell down, and then he crawled off somewhere and I couldn't find him again. So I drove to class that day and uh, was kind of shook up the rest of the day. But then the third day, 
I went back to my car and this time I was very aware. I had remembered the trauma from the day before uh, and I was nervous. And so I, I opened the car door, was looking for this thing. I didn't see it on the floorboard, didn't see it up on the ceiling, on the chair. I didn't see it anywhere. So I hoped maybe it was just gone. So I got in the driver's seat, closed the door, hand on the steering wheel, key in the addition, turn the vehicle on, the engine turns over, the air conditioner turns on, and that spider comes flying out of the air conditioning vent and lands on my right shoulder. And I'm not making this up. So in that moment, I freaked out, I jumped out of the car, I flicked the spider off my shoulder, he fell on the ground, and I stomped him probably eight times, one for each nasty leg he had, because I was done being afraid of this spider. Now, if you think that's a funny story, um, it kind of is. But here's the deal. When we are afraid of something, we act irrationally. That's the way it works. Our, our sense of, of logic and reason kind of goes out the window, and we react in ways that, well, would be embarrassing for other people to see. So what I want you to understand today before we jump into our scripture is that fear is a real thing. Fear is reality. I don't think our Lord designed this life. He did not design us uh, to have to deal with fear, but it's a result of a fallen and a broken world. So we have to learn how do we, how do we deal with fear. The emotion of fear is caused by something that's outside of us, right? Something outside of us, something, something bigger than us. Think about it this way. If you've ever stood at the base of a really tall skyscraper and you just look up at this building and you have this sense of, of fear, not that something bad's going to happen necessarily, but just the sense of like awe, like, like you realize just how small you really are compared to the things of this world, this, this healthy sense of fear. Well, fear comes from things that are outside of us, that are bigger than us. And so to combat that fear, we need something else that is outside of us, that is also bigger than our fears, that can bring us peace. And so that's what we're going to find today in our scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to John in chapter 20. John chapter 20. And as you're turning there, um, there are several stories in scripture that, that we could talk about that have to do with, with fear. We see different characters experiencing times that, where they were afraid and they needed courage. Think about uh, Noah building the ark, you know, afraid of what, what people are going to say about him, doing something that, she, that just seems totally crazy. Think about Moses, his fear of, of having to, to go speak to Pharaoh, and he's, he was thinking about his own weaknesses, right? Having to overcome that. Think about Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So many examples of God's people being afraid of something but with the help of God enduring those times. The story we're going to look at today is going to be familiar. It's one of my favorite passages. Uh, but I think this, of all, of all the stories in Scripture, uh, really captures a moment in time where um, fear was so real, things felt out of control, uh, people thought that, the thing, that they were set up and that things were good to go, um, and then everything just came crashing down. And so in John chapter 20, we're going to start reading in verse... One. We're going to read 18 verses together. So hang on tight. Here we go. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Pause for a second. I love in John's, go John's gospel when he talks about himself. Because again, this is John writing his perspective of the things of Jesus. 
John was basically Jesus' best friend, the disciple that Jesus was most close to. And John knew that. And so when he talks about himself and his gospel, he says, the one whom Jesus loved, right? He was just so confident in who he was in the Lord. Uh, he also wants us to know that, well, he outran Peter and got to the tomb first, which I think is just, is just really fun. So verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Well, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So as we look at this story, this moment of, of fear and unknown and uncertainty, uh, you know, these disciples just feeling abandoned and lonely and scared. We're going to see a few different responses that, that I think we have in common with these disciples. In times like this with this virus, you know, the reality is people are afraid. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, some people are more afraid than others, and that's okay. Uh, but the fear is, is a real thing. And so we need to look at some of the ways that as humans, we tend to respond in fear. That way, when we do these things, we can see it, we can notice it, and learn how to respond the right way. So the first thing we see uh, in times of fear, the first response is this. Sometimes we compare. We tend to compare ourselves to other people. We tend to compare our situation to the situations of other people. And it starts harmlessly. It's just trying to figure out, like, okay, well, what is this person doing with this? What is this mom doing with her kids in this scenario? Uh, for us, it was, what is this church doing? Or what is, what is that church doing? We start to compare what other people are doing. Human nature does this, and, and we, by default, we start to think kind of selfishly. I love, and I pointed this out as I was reading, but I love when John points out that he and Simon Peter turned this thing into a foot race. Again, these guys were terrified uh, because the, the Messiah that they'd been following all of a sudden is dead. They think all the plans are ruined. He promised to bring this kingdom, and they're like, well, how are you going to bring the kingdom if, if you're lying in a grave dead? And so they're scared, and they also know that the Romans, they're probably coming for them next because they were Jesus' closest followers. So they're terrified. But John, for some reason, in this scared moment, remembers that he was just proud of the fact that he was faster than Peter getting to the tomb. It seems harmless, right? And it might have been. But here's the problem is a lot of times when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we, we start to place value in the things that we can control. In an out-of-control situation, John found hope and he placed value in the fact that he was faster than Peter. 
And so we will place unnecessary value on things that really don't matter as much, but we just want to feel like something is in our control, something in my life is still going the way I want it to go, and we find hope in that. Sometimes it can lead to really unhealthy comparison. Sometimes it leads to even, even finding other people to blame for what's going on. This out-of-control situation, and we say, well, it's, it's this person's fault, right? What did Mary say? She went to find uh, Peter and John, and she said, well, they've taken him. They've taken our Lord. They've hidden him from us. She just assumed that it was whoever they is, I guess, the Romans who killed Jesus. We start to cast blame because we assume we know what's going on, but really, we don't really know. We just, it makes us feel better to be able to point our finger at somebody else. Well, it's, it's their fault. It's because they made this decision. It's because it's an election year and this is a political thing. Sometimes things are just really out of our control. And so we have to understand that, that comparing ourselves to other people, comparing our situations to other people is not always a healthy thing to do. You see in verse 9 that we learned that, that John and Peter, they forgot all that Jesus had told them going up to this point. Verse 8, we see that John, he looked in and he saw and he believed, but we don't know what he believed necessarily. Believed that Jesus was gone, possibly, because Jesus is gone. But it says in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so these men, they spent a lot of time with Jesus up to this point. But when things got crazy, when fear took over, when things felt out of control, they forgot all that Jesus had said. And they, were, they felt hopeless because Jesus was now dead. And so when things get crazy, we have to remember the truth about what Jesus said and not get wrapped up in the chaos and what the world is saying. We have to know the difference. We have to be able to discern that when things are chaotic. Easier said than done, I understand, but let's keep going. So number one, we compare. Number two, we often try to comprehend. We try to understand what is happening. We want to know what's happening so that we can stop it, right? Now, comprehending is not a bad thing. With this virus, you've learned a lot of good tips about how to keep yourself clean, how to do the best you can to stop spreading things. So we need to understand what's going on. A lot of you college students, you're going to be home for probably a few more weeks. You need to keep on learning and comprehending by doing your work online. So comprehending is not a bad thing. But the problem is, sometimes when fear takes over, we tend to overcomprehend. We tend to assume we know all the facts, we know the whole story, just so we feel better on the inside, even though we may not know the whole story at all. Again, these men were convinced that somebody else had stolen the body, but the evidence didn't really quite line up with that, which is why I think we see them react and go home the way that they did. They looked at the tomb and they saw, they saw the linen cloth and they saw the face cloth kind of separate. And, and it suggests that, that it was maybe lying in a way to where it was still the way it was when Jesus' face was covered, almost as if like Jesus' body just, just disappeared and the clothes were still there. You know, if, if someone had stolen the body, uh, they probably would have gotten rid of the clothes and taken the body, or they would have just taken all the clothes with them. It, it did not add up. The evidence didn't line up. So they thought they knew what had happened, but, but they really didn't. See, comprehension in a time of fear can only get us so far because there are always things that are unknown. Here's an example, and this is kind of cheesy, but it works. I'm sitting in a chair right now, okay? When I came in this room today and I saw this chair and sat down in it, I did not stop and think to myself, you know, I really hope this chair holds me up today. I didn't. I just trusted it. I saw that it was a chair I remembered my past experiences that most of the time, when I sit in a chair, it holds me up. Now, do they fail sometimes? Yes. Every now and then a chair will fail you, but I was not afraid of it. I did not second guess it. I just 
I just trusted it. Sometimes following Jesus and in life in general, sometimes blind faith is, is a reality. Sometimes we just have to trust that things are going to be okay. Trust that things are going to work out. Now, if there was an epidemic around Kansas City of chairs falling apart and people falling on their rear ends and hurting themselves, I might think twice. But still, at the end of the day, we have to trust. If we overcomprehend and try to analyze and try to know everything there is to know, that leaves little room for faith at times like this. So it's a balance, and it, and it can be difficult. But let's not put all of our hope in understanding and comprehending and knowing all of the facts, because sometimes they just won't be there yet. So sometimes, kind of like the decision we made this morning, it's better to play safe than sorry until we can really understand all there is to know. See, when we're afraid, all we want is control. That's all we want. Control makes us feel better when things are out of control. But thankfully, we serve a God who he doesn't need to comprehend because he already knows. He doesn't need to gain in wisdom and gain in understanding because he already knows the truth. He understands the source of this virus. He understands what it's going to take to get rid of it. He knows all of that. He knows how to lead us and be with us throughout this season of difficulty and fear and uncertainty. And so it's him that we can place our trust. See, it comes down to this reality. When these disciples walked in and they saw Jesus had been taken or that he was gone, these disciples were afraid that somebody had moved God. They were afraid that someone had moved God. And a lot of times in fear, when things feel out of control for us, we think to ourselves, where's God gone? He seems farther away than he normally is. Things are chaotic and God is normally here with me and I, and I feel better about things, but right now, like, I just feel like God has moved and we know that God doesn't move. We know that God is in control. He's been on his throne since day one and he's, he's not going to move. Nothing can move him. Nothing can scare him. Nothing can surprise him. And so we can trust knowing that even though things are chaotic and we're having to rearrange schedules and our kids won't be in school for a while, we can know that God is still right where he's always been. We can also remember Joshua 1.9 that he says, be, be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. So God is still in control, and he's also still with you throughout this fearful season, which is why we can still worship like we are in our homes, because we're still worshiping the same God who is with us as if we were in the building together. So oftentimes in fear, we tend to compare. And then sometimes we try to comprehend to the point that we over-comprehend. But number three, the third thing we often do is this. We concede. We concede. We make a decision based on what we know, what we think we know, and how we feel about the circumstance. We decide, hey, this is, this is too difficult, and so uh, I'm going to give up. I'm going to go back to what I perceive to be safe, where I feel comfortable. And we see the disciples do this. They get to the tomb. Jesus is gone. Things are already chaotic, and this makes even less sense than it did before. And so they, they go home. They lock the door because that makes them feel the most safe and the most secure. See, I don't, want, I don't want fear to dictate any of my decisions. I want faith to dictate my decisions. That's why, honestly, shutting down you know, on-campus on church today was kind of a hard thing for us because we didn't want to respond out of fear, but we also wanted to respond out of wisdom and guidance from our community and our leaders. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to have faith that God can still move and we can still have an amazing church experience on a Sunday morning, even though we're not in our building. So faith, faith over fear. A great example of this is, as we continue reading after the disciples go back home, 
it's interesting that Mary, Mary stays at the tomb. Now, in other Gospels, we, we see that there's other women present. It's not just Mary. But John focuses in on Mary's story, and we'll see why here in just a second. But I was reading this, and I was interested as to why Mary stayed at the tomb. She was the first one there. Obviously, we know that. But she did not go back with the disciples. And so we know a couple things about Mary Magdalene. I'm going to flip to Luke, Luke chapter 8, and, and read you a couple things real quick. You know, there are a lot of Marys in Scripture. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary, the sister of Martha. This is Mary Magdalene. And uh, she's kind of a more minor character, but she is significant to this part of the story. So back in Luke chapter 7, there's an occasion where Jesus is having dinner at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. While he's having dinner, uh, Scripture says that a woman of the city who was a sinner entered the room. Now, kids, if you don't know what that means, ask your parents over lunch. But for the rest of us, we understand that this could be kind of a, kind of a scandalous thing. And so she walks in, she comes up behind Jesus who's sitting, and she begins to weep. And her tears fall on Jesus' feet, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she takes some ointment that she has and begins to wash the feet of Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee looks at Jesus and says, what are you doing? How, how can you, do you know what kind of woman this is? How are you, how are you allowing this to happen? And Jesus responds by, by telling a parable and basically calling out Simon. But then he says this, and this is really significant in, in Luke 7, verse 47. He says this, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The idea is those who know how much they've been forgiven, they tend to love a lot more. They tend to have a lot more forgiveness to show to other people. But those of us who, who kind of struggle seeing just how bad we were before Jesus, just how short we really fall, we feel like, well, it didn't take a whole lot for Jesus to save me. I mean, I was pretty good to begin with. People like us that, that struggle with that, we tend to have less, less love to give to other people, less forgiveness to show to other people. So then right after this passage is done, a few verses later in chapter 8, verse 1, here's what happens. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So Mary Magdalene, before she met Jesus, had seven demons inside of her. And at some point she encountered Jesus. And he was able to heal her and cast out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. So this moment comes later on when, when Jesus has gone from the tomb and the men go running back to their rooms and they don't know what to do. And she's standing there saying, I don't know what to do either, but I don't know where else to go. I have more faith in Jesus whose body is no longer here than anywhere else because, because of what he's done for me. Because of how much he has forgiven me, I, my faith is still here with Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus comes back. He calls her by name, and she turns and knows it's him. And Mary Magdalene, because of her faith, she is the first person to witness the resurrected Jesus. How incredible is that? See, I want to have the faith of Mary Magdalene. I don't want my, my, my decisions to be dictated by my fears, but I want them to be dictated by my faith. Now for you, listen, I understand that, that your fear today may not be this virus. I get that, right? It, not everybody's afraid of it, as, as afraid as others, and that's okay. 
But there are other things that you might be fearing today. Maybe it's an issue with a job. You're, you're, you're not happy at the job you're at. It's not a good situation. Or maybe you don't have a job and you've been trying for a long time to get one and it's just, it's just not working out. Maybe it's a family issue, a family crisis. Maybe it's, it's more of a, something on the inside, like a hidden temptation that you're struggling with and nobody knows about it and you're afraid of what might happen if people find out or you're afraid because you can't, you can't defeat it by yourself. Maybe, maybe you're afraid because in exactly one month from today, taxes are due and you're like, I can't pay it. I don't know what to do. There are so many things in life that can cause the emotional response of fear. And again, fear is real. We don't need to act like fear is not a real thing. But here's one thing we do need to understand. And this is my bottom line for you today is this. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. See, these Peter and John, they, they trusted Jesus, but they didn't trust the part about him raising from the dead because it didn't make sense to them. Nobody does that. Everybody dies. It wasn't impressive that Jesus was killed. It's impressive that he rose from the dead because that doesn't happen, right? And so what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. And so whatever your fear is right now, or the next time you're overcome by fear, think about, okay, there must be something in my life where I'm having trouble trusting God with this thing. And then we give that to him. One more thing I want to point out to you is verse 17 at the end of this passage in John 20. And this is kind of where we'll start to wrap up. In verse 17, um, after Jesus has called out to Mary and she recognizes that it's him, verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, this is the first time Jesus calls the disciples brothers. He's called them uh, friends. He's called them lots of other things. But this is the first time he refers to them as brothers. And then look at what he says that after this. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. You see, now that Jesus has risen from the dead, has defeated sin, death, and the grave, now his father is our father. Now we are brothers and sisters in Christ. What Jesus did was basically brought us all up to his level to where God looks at us. And like in Romans 8 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In any fearful moment, in any chaotic, out-of-control out of circumstances, we can cry, Abba, Father, and we can avoid being a slave to fear. So, as we wrap this up today, a few questions for you to think about. Maybe even talk through if you're willing. What are you afraid of? What's the thing in life that, that keeps you up at night, that brings you those feelings of anxiety where you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to beat this. What, what are you afraid of? When that fear becomes a reality, what is your response? Do you quickly turn to comparison or blame? Do you try to overcomprehend and, and push out faith as a result? Do you concede and, and run back to what's safe and give up and not have the courage to, to fight? Again, what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. So in conclusion, I want to share this with you. Share a couple thoughts and then just pray this, this blessing over us today. It's our prayer that this week you walk wisely in faith. Yes, until this virus is gone, but also in every area of life. Whatever type of fear you face, 
that you would walk wisely and in faith. And yes, those can be done together. We can walk in faith and still be careful and still be wise. There is an element of faith that is blind. But God also has given us an abundance of knowledge and of reason and of resources that allow us to navigate through fearful times. But when the comprehension runs out and we don't understand all that's going on, faith can push us forward. So whatever your biggest fear is today, I want to pray this blessing over you from Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.